Okay, welcome to another podcast for the Year 12 Comparative Text Penelopead and Photograph 51. Today we are talking fame and glory, and I'm joined here today with by with Amandi and Hirul. Hello. Hello. All right, let's start off with um, as we've done with all the podcasts. What does fame and glory mean in context of these two texts? Um, Amandi, do you want to explain fame, and I can probably talk about glory. Um, well, I think fame, um, fame doesn't, whereas glory is some, something we praise and admire, fame doesn't ha- really have those positive connotations like glory does. Like someone can be famous, but not necessarily for a good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. So to be famous is, fame is more to be known. And I also think it's more of a long-term thing. Fame is something that you are remembered by. Glory. Um, so there's a difference between the noun glory and the verb glory because the verb glory is to take great pride or pleasure in. And so you can talk about glorifying stuff. Mm-hmm. What is glorified in these two texts mm-hmm. um, in contrast with who seeks glory, which is a little bit different to glorifying something. Yes. And I think, I think here or there you've made a really important distinction because um, the noun glory for me means that you sort of obtained it. And I think, as you said before, with glorification, you're sorting, you're seeking to um, seek glory or you're looking to make something look better than potentially it, mm-hmm. it really was. All right. Well, let's talk about the text then. How do these, these, cons- these ideas sort of manifest within Photograph 51 and the Penelope ad? So when we were talking about the verb glorification, there are two things that really jump out um, in these two texts that are glorified. So in photograph 51, it's science that is glorified. In the same way, um, in Penelope, life is glorified. And Penelope goes to extreme lengths to make sure that she lives. And there are the quotes to um, support that. She says, during my lifetime, I considered it prudent not to take risks. That's on page 40. Mm, she yes. really, really wanted to live. She mm-hmm. also is willing to sacrifice um, the maids when she says, I'll have to do it in secret or Odysseus will suspect me as well. She is scared that Odysseus will hurt her, physically hurt her. She mm-hmm. is fearful for her life. Mm-hmm. And so we see that it's, they really, really are reluctant to go into the underworld because life is so glorified in this text. Mm-hmm. Life is such an incredible, epic thing. And in the same way, in photograph 51, they talk about when they talk about science, they say we made the invisible visible. We had so much power. Mm-hmm. When um, Wilkins says that they lost, Franklin on page 79 says, lost? No, we all won. The world won, didn't it? And so we see that she is not necessarily seeking fame, but she is, her ambitions are to do with science. And all of the characters, you can find quotes for all of the characters to support that they really put science on a pedestal. They thought that it was a very, very glorious thing to be a yeah, scientist. Um, sorry, Amanda, do you have something to add? Sorry. Um, no, I was just going to say with um, how glorious, um, how life is presented as glorious in the Penelope ad, there's that bit where she's drinking from the trenches and she talks about how glorious it is to feel the blood running through her veins again. Mm, yeah, I think I, th- I find that really interesting that there's um, in the in the photograph of one we're studying life and 
the sort of glory that it, the glorification of science and how much satisfaction and how much it can actually change the world because real life science yes there's potential for science to change the world but often many people don't get the breakthrough they want to have um like mm-hmm. um rosalind has and i think that desire for life and being immortalized almost um is what is being sought out and i think that word epic there hero um that she used also kind of speaks to that original form of the iliad the epic poem um that idea that their oral tradition is living on through story and myth so that in a way that that is giving the oh sorry i'm gonna sneeze no no not the <laughs> oh hello podcast um the giving them life in terms of um being able to being spoken about over time um, and I think that desire for life is really prominent um, within the Penelope. And I think that's a really good observation and something that I think, you know, because we're kind of pushing, you know, a lot of the time in the podcast and even class discussions sort of centre and come back down to patriarchy and down with the patriarchy is their fault. Um, and I think all of a sudden now we're kind of talking about life and how we want to be remembered. And obviously with patriarchy kind of goes into who gets fame and glory a bit later, but I really do enjoy sort of that notion and observation um, about how life is glorified and the science of life is also being glorified. And I think um, you know, that's interesting. Sorry. Yeah, here we'll go. Sorry, sorry. Can I just interrupt for a second? Um, I find it really interesting that they glorify science throughout all of um, Photograph 51. However, on page 75, Wilkins says it's the loneliest pursuit in the world. And so that's a little bit different because everybody is talking about how great science is and they're always putting it on a pedestal, but now he's talking about the loneliness of it. And how also Rosalind talks about how many things she had to sacrifice, how many things she couldn't experience um, Mm. when she talks about wanting to be kissed, to eat more greens and also beetroot on page 74. Mm, So almost a sacrifice there to sort of um, Mm. kind of obtain that glory with science or the fame that science could potentially afford them. Yeah, I think there's a lot of sacrifices of genuine relationships in both the texts because we see Crick's marriage falling apart and um, uh, Rosalind's determination blinding her and from the little things in life and how the competitive um, nature of their work prevents them from collaborating with each other and having relationships there as well. Mm, yeah, uh, totally. And I think there's um, that sacrifice as well is quite detrimental for Rosalind. It, it ends up her unwillingness to collaborate or listen. Um, and she stands in that x-ray that obviously eventually leads to a cancer is quite um, a corrosive effect for her in um, in photograph 51. And that pressure to be perfect all the time as a scientist um, is um, quite an interesting um, observation there. Yeah. It is quite um, detrimental, but then we also think if she hadn't done that, if she had collaborated with Mr. Woon, do you think that she would be famous? Um, maybe, probably, maybe. There's an, I think there's an element there where Ziegler does, like, you know, put that forward, that perhaps if she was playing within the rules, she may have gotten that Nobel Prize as well. We're not too sure. Really, Mr. Woon? Because in the Penelope ad, if we look at it, at Penelope, um, she did not try to defy societal expectations while she was alive. So she was often silent compared to Franklin. Um, She didn't necessarily speak out as much as Franklin did. And Mm -hmm. so we see the contrast, but Penelope in life 
was not famous and she can be she can try to be famous in death because she's fiction mm. but do you but think that franklin sorry no 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 I, I like this conversation but do you oh, think I... that um penelope doesn't mm-hmm. really see herself as an individual but rather defined by odysseus accomplishments whereas rosalind in her respect is sort of seeking recognition for herself and female scientists as a whole so while trying to be independent and asserting her dependence independence there needed to be i think a little bit of give for her to sort of be remembered or at least be safe in the lab and you know i talked to my class about one of the awful things is that she gets she's given an incompetent sort of assistant uh, where she has Mm -hmm. to kind of step in but perhaps if she was collaborative a bit more with wilkins and sort of um, maybe played within their rules she may, have, she may have reached those heights, you know. We don't know whether she still would have got cancer or not because she was taking those photos. Um, so I think, I think that's an interesting question to, to pose. Um, but I think it's also dangerous a little bit to kind of look at the what-ifs in this scenario. Yeah, um, But I think the what-if here, I think the implication with Ziegler is that I think Ziegler is trying to say, yes, the men were horrible, but also at the same time, there was an element of um, potentially the stubbornness that has come from Rosalind as a result of sort of maybe the expectations of women at that time to you have to always be right, mm-hmm. um, didn't really allow her to collaborate in the best way. Just a, some food for thought, food for thought. But Yeah, but even I feel like even if she was the assistant, if she agreed to be Wilkins' assist, uh, assistant and was like, yes, I'll be your assistant, I wonder if she would have gotten that fame because she is fact, whereas Penelope is fiction. Mm. And so Penelope in the underworld could tell her story and she could, regardless of whether she was famous in life, she could still tell her story in death. But Franklin, yeah, but Franklin, if she was silent like Penelope, we wonder would she have gotten that opportunity because she is history and she is fact and Ziegler is rewriting history. That is true. That's a good question. I think that we can sort of ponder on. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. What about other sacrifices? So we talked about the sacrifices that we see in the Penelope. I mean, photograph fifty-one. Did we touch on the sacrifices in the Penelope? Ad? Mm-hmm. Amanda, you can talk about the. Um. So. Um. Sorry, the sacrifices in the Penelope ad? Yeah. Um, sacrifice of pay, uh, fame in the Penelope ad, I think, is um, back to what we were saying before, the sacrifice of um, life itself and the glory of life. I think that um, some of the characters um, forget to live and um, I have a point here. Um, fame and glory is a privilege of um, the mortal world. And I think that both texts show that the one thing you do carry with you even after death is the fame and glory of your actions while you were still alive. And this is really hard to change once you have um, died. Well, like, while Penelope is given the opportunity to have her story heard and therefore try and make a claim to fame, um, she only gets this because what Hero was saying before, she's a fictional character, but we'll never hear Rosalind's side of the story. It's always told through Wilkins' voice. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's a really um, fair point there. 
um, in terms um, of those of that narrative. And I think, you know, Amanda, you're in my class, we, I often talk about the futility of trying to reclaim the story and rewriting history. And I think ultimately we have these two things that are proposed to us that it doesn't matter um, what has happened after your death. It is about in the moment when you're alive of how you can obtain that fame and glory. I think that's a kind of a really interesting sort of point to think about in terms of an authorial agenda, because um, in the podcast with Ms. Marlene, we talked about sort of the futility of sort of retelling these stories because it comes back to the same ending. Um, and normally when we see um, revisionist feminist texts, we expect the women to come out on top. Um, and in, in this case, both the women, um, I think, remain within sort of how they were are remembered um, in today's society. Mm -hmm. yeah. I also think um, Penelope, while she was trying to tell her story, she wasn't as successful as she could be because she wasn't willing to, because she was so driven by fame and she was pursuing fame, she often forgot to be a little bit empathetic. A lot of people sacrifice empathy in order to be famous, like Watson. Watson doesn't care who comes in his way, but Watson will do whatever it takes to be remembered, to be the name in the pub quiz. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we look at Franklin and Casper, they're the only two characters who really show empathy because there's a scene where um, Casper calls Franklin Rosie and she lets him because he's not saying it in an undermining manner. He's saying it because he thinks that her name is warm and she calls him Don. And we see them both opening up and being vulnerable to each other. And um, that's also the only positive relationship, positive romantic relationship um, that we see in these two texts because Odysseus and Penelope, um, Odysseus, she says we were, I think she calls themselves shameless and proficient liars. Mm. And so their relationship wasn't, really as true as um, Franklin and Casper's, but we see how much, how far empathy can get you. As people, they, they, were like they were prospering as a relationship, they were prospering because of their empathy. And so when we relate that back to Penelope, Ed, if Penelope was more empathetic to the maids, we talked about this in class, I think with Dr. Shaw, um, if Penelope was more empathetic to the maids, towards the maids, like Franklin, they would have reciprocated and they wouldn't have, have subverted her story at every chance they got and therefore she would be more successful in her in her storytelling she would have been more famous and she would have been we would believe her more mm, yeah mm -hmm. good point good so what else do we have to say about fame and glory in the penelope ad and photograph 51 um i think as time progresses what people are glorified and glorified for and famous for is constantly changing because Penelope's fame derives from her depiction as a faithful and virtuous wife but she's not content with this in the Penelope ad and she wants to be more than that and I think we have to consider whether she would have been content with this while she was alive or whether her observations of the modern world have changed the reasons for why she wants to be famous because in our society being submissive and silent isn't really something that we look up to anymore and like only through the postmodern deconstruction of the earlier narrative um, we can raise questions about what was valued in Penelope's time and um, yeah and I think most people don't question 
their society and its assumptions, like even us, but if in say 3000 years, people, to, people were to look at our society, they'd be like, wow, I can't believe that really happened. So I feel like that's kind of what's going on with Penelope as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Also, but- there's a quote in, um, there's a quote in photograph 51. It says, to be born at the right time, there's an element of fate to it, don't you think? So I think that the time that you were born also has a big part to play in the fame that we're willing to give to people and why they're famous. I think something we haven't really talked about is who does get fame, who gets fame and glory, and who's unsuccessful at obtaining either of those two things? Um, I think in in photograph 51, Watson definitely gets fame. Watson and Crick both get fame. Um, But Watson's the one who writes the double helix. He wants to be the name in the pub quiz, and he is the name in the pub quiz. He says he won because he won the Nobel Prize. So Mm -hmm. he is definitely somebody who gets, who achieves that fame. Um, You said before that Odysseus, Odysseus is quite famous. We know Odysseus for, from the Odyssey, from um, the, yeah, from the Odyssey. And so he achieves the fame that he was often looking for, but he doesn't necessarily, because his life, every time he dies, she says that it always ends badly. Mm. So he achieves the fame, but he's constantly seeking more. He's seeking a famous ending. Yeah. He's seeking yeah. a, hap- a, a good ending. Well, a glorified ending, perhaps, because he, uh, yeah. he gets reincarnated into quite awful people. And mm. they, they're well remembered for not such great things. Um, they do have fame for the wrong reasons. So the glory that he achieved in his life, he, necess- he, he can't end with that. He needs something epic to end with and it always ends badly and i think it talks back to that point of always desiring the glorification of life and not wanting to exist um because they get a choice right to either stay in the underworld or drink Mm. um the thing to then be reincarnated into another being and you know he, he chooses to always go back to the surface and i think that idea that hunger and that insatiable hunger um for fame to always be remembered. And I think it ties into the idea of Romandy um, talking about you can only ever be alive to have sort of fame. It's not in death that we can kind of um, look at that. And I think that's really interesting. Um, what about glory? Who ends up having like glory in either of these texts? Is anyone? Um, Odysseus. Yeah. Not maybe in this text, but previously, I think Penelope is on a mission to undermine his glory. A little bit. Yeah, for sure. Penelope, sorry, I think Penelope wants glory, but the sinister side of the maid story kind of prevents her from getting that glory that she's after. Mm, because it's, mm. she's, she's done some pretty negative um, and atrocious yeah. things to, that are implied that she's part of their downfall. I agree. What about the maids? Do you think the maids have fame or glory? I think the maids have... I think the maids are known now because of this text, because of Atwood, but I don't think that they have glory. They're not really praised or they're not put, they don't put themselves above anybody else. They, they're, they're ready to reduce themselves to a symbol. Mm. So mm. I don't think they have glory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I think they don't really get that. They're, they're sort of uh, famous in an academic sense, symbolic as we saw in that anthropological mm. lecture. Um, and so therefore their opportunity to kind of 
be within that spot, but it's not there, and they the and they can only succeed as a collective. It's not as an individual. Yeah, they definitely they're empowered by each other. Mm. They only have a voice when they're together as well. They don't even have names except one of them. Yeah, um, I think that's some really interesting complex thinking there because I think some of the um, issues with fame and glory is actually in both texts is actually a pursuit for that. I think. Um, and mm-hmm. the pursuit is what we need to talk about. And I think here on Amanda, you've both sort of really touched on that really well and how it kind of relates to some of the big ideas of competition and the lack of collaboration that then becomes corrosive. And I think the students out there listening to this should also write down sort of the points we've raised so they can sort of um, synthesise that for themselves um, when it comes to looking at that new comparative insight. Um, is there anything that we've left out that you are desperate to sort of talk about? I wanted to talk about the, um, I think we've, I think Amandi mentioned this, but we didn't really go into detail on it. The, um, the sacrifice of emotional relationships in pursuit of fame. And so there are two characters who I'd like to compare. There's Watson Mm -hmm. and there's Helen. And I know that it's not really a comparison that you would think of really um, in the beginning, but if you look really closely at them, Watson is somebody who cannot form an emotional relationship and there's a quote for that crick says um it's more likely that what it's more likely that james will solve the secret to life than better women mm. and so he's quite different to helen who is much wanted and is much in demand that's the quote i think much in demand um so she's wanted by many but both of them ultimately both of them are famous but both of them ultimately fail to form any sort of meaningful connection emotional connection neither of them really have that in these texts and if you look carefully a lot of characters don't get that in these texts because they're so consumed with the fame that they're trying to seek mm, mm. and so franklin and casper when they're beginning to get that franklin passes away yeah and i think you can draw some really good parallels with what the cost of fame is in modern day society that often people who are famous can't sustain healthy relationships because they're constantly scrutinized in the public mm. eye same with um, Crick. Crick would always put his, his work in front of Odile. Odile would always be second priority to him. He didn't even realise that she was moving out. And it's quite ironic because he can see everything. He's a scientist. They make the invisible visible, but he can't even see his own wife moving out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so um, he kind of gets caught up with Watson in the whole fame, fame pursuit. And he doesn't, is not able to save his relationship because of that. He's always putting her second. We see Watson and um, Crick on stage more than we see Crick and Odile on stage together. In fact, we never see what, um, Crick and Odile on stage together. Mm. And so we start to um, believe that Watson, sorry, that, yeah, that Watson and Crick's relationship was more intimate than Crick and Odile's. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. something that they definitely had to sacrifice. Yeah. Armandy, is there anything else you want to add? Um. I was going to talk about how I think fame and glory is also often depicted as a criminal thing in both the Penelope ad and Photograph 51. Because in Photograph 51, we see that um, it was the men stealing DNA and Watson's unethical practices, which eventually influenced Crick as well, that allows them to discover the structure of DNA and therefore get fame from from it. And in the Penelope ad, Odysseus not only gets away with a lot of immoral things, but is also glorified and famous for it as well. Like 
his infidelity and killing all the suitors and um, even Helen leading thousands of men to war. Um, so yeah, and there's also a quote for um, in the Penelope ad, it says, this is about Odysseus's father and it says, reputed never to have won anything fairly in his life. So basically he has a reputation for not ever doing anything fairly, which is similar mm. to what happens in Photograph 51. Yeah, I think that's a really good and interesting sort of that idea that fame and glory are negative pursuits as well, because it is. And I think it also links to that sort of narrative we have here going on in this podcast that um, the pursuit of it actually has a lot of corrosive effects and actually mm -hmm. the cost and I think weighing up the cost of it is the cost of that versus the actual being able to live your life the way you want to might be a bit too high because people, because in both cases, people have died for it really. Um, if we think about Penelope and her need to live her glorified life has led to the sacrifice of the maids, um, the need for the first one to be the DNA race um, and being always correct sort of kind of leads to the, um, that corrosive effect of isolation for Rosalind that leads to her getting cancer and then passing away. Um, so I think that's a really interesting sort of um, notion to bring up in terms of um, what the negative side of this is, because it seems exciting, but there's, as both of you pointed out, there's actually a real emotional and personal cost to pursuing that. Mm -hmm. There's yeah. a lot of, there are a lot of sacrifices that a lot of characters make. Um, I also think that fame, very much relates to destiny. I think that somebody who wants to be famous must control their own destiny. There's There are quotes for that when, the part in Penelope had when they're talking about um, the hearts and the keys and the locks, the locked doors that they must open in somebody's heart. Mm. And so, um, wait, I will find the quote, but he talks, Odysseus is talking about how, oh no, Penelope says that once you're, um, once you've unlocked that door, you are very much on the path to control your own destiny. Mm, mm. And so the people who can control their own destiny ultimately can, can be famous. And the people who are controlled by other people like, like Penelope, she is controlled by Odysseus and he manipulates her and he, she thinks that he's being truthful, but she later realizes that he wasn't. Yeah. And I think just listening to that, the people that own their fame are Watson and Helen because they're unapologetic and really independent about how they've sort of made their name for themselves. They don't care what that sacrifice was. The point is that they've made it. Definitely. I think Penelope reaches a point where she doesn't, I mean, I don't think she, it's not that she doesn't care. I feel like she can, she doesn't realise. Mm. Yeah. It's less that she doesn't care. It's more that she doesn't realise because she thinks that when, um, when Odysseus is continuously leaving her, she think that, thinks that it's because of the mates. She thinks that they're the people who drive him away. And yeah. so she, she can't recognise that he's doing it in pursuit of fame. Mm. And that's something yes. that she just can't see. Uh, yeah, good. Well, I think that comes to the end of our podcast. That's so a good half hour um, episode. And I think there's lots of depth and meatiness to do with that. And I think if the students out there, if you actually listen to the podcast one after the other, you're going to see some really interesting trends and doubling up of quotes and moments um, that adds complication to sort of any question that Car can throw you at the end of the day, which is about um, 14 weeks away, 13 weeks away now. 
Um, so I think that's really useful to do, to sort of listen to these podcasts, maybe in succession and writing down notes and having a re-listen to find those patterns and trends. Well, Maddie Hero, thank you so much today for your input. Um, I think you've definitely gave um, the teachers and the students food for thought. Thank, thank you, Mr. Lynn.